0: Bye. Oh. Good afternoon, and welcome to 3 Tune Tuesday for Tuesday, September the 5th. I am your host, Bonaparte, and you are listening to Blind Skeleton Online Radio. If you are here, you have found your way to my quaint digital cottage in the digital countryside. Please come on in, make yourself comfortable, have a seat. There are more than enough well-cushioned, oversized Victorian chairs for all. 3Tune Tuesday is my opportunity to share with you some vintage songs from years gone by, before the advent of electrical music recording, when records were still played on wind-up phonographs and the recorded sound was still magical. It was a slower time, and one that I invite you to visit with me for the next half hour, so pour yourself a coffee and do get comfortable. This week we're progressing our way through the years. We started several weeks ago at 1905, progressed up through 1908 last week, and now we have 1909 coming up this week. So please sit back, close your eyes, and let yourself be transported back in time with me to the year 1909. 1909 stood at a pivotal juncture in the history of recorded music. The phonograph invented by Thomas Edison in the 19th century, the late 19th century, had already begun to transform the way people consumed music. No longer were live performances the sole means of experiencing musical artistry. With the advent of the phonograph, music could be captured, preserved, and replayed at will. By 1909, the phonograph had become a household item in many urban homes. The flat disc records, which we're familiar with today as Vinyl 33s, were introduced by Emil Berliner's gramophone company and had largely overtaken Edison's cylindrical records in popularity due to their ease of production and storage. The original records that were produced by Edison and then Columbia were actually cylindric or cylinder in shape. They could hold between two to four minutes of music. These new flat discs were typically made of shellac, and typically, but not always, spun at 78 revolutions per minute, giving them the name 78 RPM records. There was also a difference in recording techniques, and this was really an early format battle. In the early days of phonograph records, two primary methods of recording sound were developed. Horizontal, or lateral, and the Hill and Dale or vertical recording formats. The horizontal format, which was known as lateral recording, captures sound by moving the stylus side to side in the record groove. In the groove, this method was popularized by Berliner's gramophone discs and ended up becoming the dominant format for most of the 20th century. On the other hand, the Hill and Dale, or vertical recording format, was championed by Thomas Edison, and it captures sound by moving the stylus up and down in the groove. Early Pathé discs also had this form of recording. While this method did offer certain advantages in terms of sound fidelity, it was less compatible with the flat disc format that became prevalent by Victor and Columbia. In the end, the horizontal recording method eventually overshadowed the Hill and Dale approach and became the... Prominent method of recording sounds after the 1920s. At the time, the music industry was dominated by just a few major record companies, including the Victor Talking Machine Company and Columbia. Edison was a player, but they were not as major as the other two. These companies had a significant influence on the kinds of music that was recorded and promoted popular genres of the day included ragtime, some early jazz, and vaudeville performances were very popular. Opera and classical music recordings were also prevalent, catering to the tastes of the more affluent customers. From a cultural standpoint, the ability to listen to recorded music at home was revolutionary. Families and friends would gather around the phonograph for an evening of entertainment, making it a centerpiece of social gatherings. This was a time before radio broadcasting had taken off, so the phonograph provided a novel way for people to access a diverse range of music from different cultures and genres. In fact, people would gather around the phonograph, much like people in the 30s and 40s would gather around the radio. The music industry still wasn't without its challenges, however copyright laws were still in their infancy, leading to numerous legal battles over recording rights. We've seen a similar type set of arguments play out with the advent of the internet and new ways of sharing music and other cultural items. So this is certainly something that's not new to us today, but would have been back then. Additionally, Artists often received little compensation for their recordings, with record companies reaping most of the profits. In 1908, Columbia Records introduced double-sided discs that had music on both sides. This was really revolutionary, because before this innovation, phonograph records typically had music on only one side, with the reverse side being blank or featuring a label the introduction of double-sided discs was a significant advancement because it effectively doubled the amount of music that a single disc could hold, and it offered consumers more value for their purchase. But in these early days, the process of deciding which songs went on each side of a record was less systematic than it would become in later years, and there were several factors that would have influenced these decisions. Um, not the least of which would have been popularity and sales potential. If a song was expected to be a hit or was already popular in sheet music form, which was still the most prevalent method of sharing music, it would likely be given a priority. A potential hit might be paired with a lesser-known song to boost the latter song's exposure. Of course, artist availability would have had a play at it, a if an artist was available for a recording session, they might record several tracks in quick succession, which would lead them to possibly having both sides of the record. There was the possibility for diversity, for broader appeal. By placing different genres or artists on each side of a record, record companies could appeal to a broader audience and thereby boost sales there was cost considerations, recording records was not cheap back at the time, you know, and by pairing a surefire hit with a less certain track, the producers could have a way to hedge their bets and ensure at least one side would generate sales. Very possibly the most prevalent method of deciding which song would go onto which side of a record, however, was simply trial and error. The recording industry was still in its infancy, and companies were experimenting to see what worked best in terms of sales and audience reception. Some decisions might have been made on a whim, or based on personal preferences of producers and executives. The Edison label in particular was known for having all of its songs, with the exception of a few, needing to be approved by Edison himself, for instance. It's worth noting that while there might have been some general practices or trends, there wasn't a one-size-fits-all approach. They were still learning what they were doing. Different record companies or even different producers within a company might have had their own strategies or philosophies. It took time, but the music industry ultimately matured, market research became sophisticated, and the process of track selection and pairing ended up becoming a little more systematic. And in this era of trial and error, we had some interesting pairings of songs, such as Victor Record one sixty three nine zero which we're going to be playing for you next, which contained Ald- Olsin Lang Lang sign, sorry, by Westminster Chimes on one side, and the flip side saw a banjo solo of Turkey in the straw. So, thank you for tuning in to this week's Three Tune Tuesday. I sure do appreciate each and every one of you listening in, whether you are listening in on the live stream or via the podcast after the live stream. We're going to take a brief pause and talk about some announcements that we have coming up. Next week's Three Tune Tuesday will continue our journey through the years and will transport us to the year 1910 as we dive into the musical gems of that particular era. For all Electric Dreams enthusiasts, we do have the first September Electric Dreams on the 13th at 8.30 p.m. Um, Electric Dreams is the counterpart to Three Tune Tuesday, whereas Three Tune Tuesday plays some songs from the acoustically recorded era of music. On Electric Dreams, we share some early electrically recorded music from between the years roughly 1927 to 1937. Now, like Three Tune Tuesday, we have begun a journey through the years on Electric Dreams. So next week on the 13th, we will be playing songs from 1929. Be sure not to miss it. And if you are a coffee lover like I am, I certainly do have a treat for you if you are in the northern Delaware state area. On October 21st, Blind Skeleton will be hosting coffee tasting and a movie with our sister organization, Skeleton Brew. We'll be offering tastings of a selection of coffees from Skeleton Brew. And we will pair the evening with the showing of an old, vintage, black-and-white 8mm horror movie that will be played on an appropriate, time-era appropriate movie projector, just as we play our songs here on the appropriate phonographs. So for more details on that, you can see everything that we have on the Skeleton Brew website at skeletonbrew.coffee. Now, the song Orchids was written by Thomas Mills and first recorded in 1909. The song is a love song It compares the beauty of orchids to the beauty of a woman. The lyrics describe the delicate petals of the orchids and the sweet fragrance they emit. The song was a popular hit in its day and was often sung at weddings and other special occasions. Throughout the years, it was ultimately recorded by a number of different people, including Homer Roadheaver, Eleanor Painter and the Peerless Quartet as a barbershop song. And that was Orchids. Now, before we continue on with our last song of the day, I'd like to share with you a couple of more updates and offerings that we have going on. We have certainly been busy here at Blind Skeleton and love sharing these things with you. As the spooky season approaches, which is my favorite time of year, I love the entire last four months of the year. Autumn through the end of December are my favorite times of year. And Halloween is, of course, one of my favorite holidays of all of them. We are introducing our monthly special on coffees this month at Skeleton Brew. It's got our three Halloween blends. And it will be the perfect way to get your mornings going, get your afternoons through the day, and otherwise just enjoy a wonderful cup of coffee. We have a pumpkin spice latte, we have a chocolate brew, and we have a green apple and cinnamon spice roast up available. The monthly special is all three of them for 10% off. And of course, we would love to connect with you all on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Mastodon. All of our links are available on the website for easy access and of course, if you'd like to just send me an email, you can reach me at bonaparte at one. Love to hear from each and every one of you, and certainly do ask all of you to share the good Blind Skeleton word with your own networks. Our website does boast an application that lists all of the records in our collection. All of the songs that we play on Three Tune Tuesday and on Electric Dreams are songs from our in-house collection. We don't play songs that have been pre-recorded. We don't pull them down off of YouTube. We play them live with Stylus in Groove. The application is searchable, so I do invite all of you, if you want to see what we have and ready to play, do go give it a search. Hunt down your favorite song, a song you haven't heard in a long time. If you would like us to play one of them, it's very easy to request a song. Do let us know. And as a token of our appreciation, once your song is played, I will happily send you a coupon for 10% off your next coffee purchase at Skeleton Brew. And lastly, for those of you who might be looking for the perfect gift or corporate gesture, Skeleton Brew is very happy to introduce our new corporate gifting and gifting program. Everyone has a mug, everyone's got a hat, everyone's got a t-shirt, and even USB drives. Coffee becomes a very wonderful gift to send to your clients to say thank you for all uh, that you have helped us with throughout the year. So jump on over to our website, skeletonbrew.coffee, and discover the perfect brew for every occasion, and to tell your clients and customers thank you very much. The last several weeks, starting in 1905, we played songs from the opera Rigoletto. Sadly, there are no songs in the Blind Skeleton collection from the year 1909 from Rigoletto. Rigoletto will return next week. Instead, we have another fantastic song for you. The Barker Roll is a piece of music that many might recognize even if they don't know it by name. Originating from Jacques Offenbach's operetta The Tales of Hoffman, This piece is the most famous excerpt from the work. The operetta was first performed in 1881, based on the stories of the German Romantic romantic author E.T.A. Hoffmann. The barcarolle appears in the third act, set in Venice. The term barcarolle itself refers to a traditional folk song sung by Venetian gondoliers. True to its name, Offenbach's barcarolle evokes the gentle rhythms of a boat being rowed on water, capturing the romantic essence of nighttime in Venice. The piece is characterized by its lilting, dreamy melody, and it paints a picture of serene waters, moonlit skies, and the distant echo of singing voices. Over the years, the barcarolle has transcended its operatic origins to become a standalone favorite in the classical repertoire. Its timeless beauty has led to its use in various films, television shows, and commercials. And the song, the version that we have for you today, was recorded by the Vienna String Quartet. and that is our show for the day thank you all so much for listening in whether you're listening live or to the podcast afterwards i have said it before i will say it again i appreciate each and every one of you i do release you from 1909 back to the modern world after just a few more comments and perhaps a visit by the story lady. Don't forget, mark your calendars. We have Three Tune Tuesday and Electric Dreams coming up next week. I do love being able to hear from each of you, and sharing these and preserving these musical gems makes all the difference in the world to me. I do see sneaking in through the side door. She is very want to do this, is the story lady, and I'm sure she's got a fantastic tale to share with us all. Thank you again. Have a great afternoon.
1: And now once again, it's time. Are oh, you breaking up? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh, Byron, if you weren't my elf. <laughs> okay, here we go. And now, once again, it's time for the story, lady. Breaking me up. It's not my. Mm-hmm. Come on. What did I do? I read just No, no I don't know. Niceness. I'm not looking at you. Good. Let's make a deal. Okay. <laughs> okay. Be with us next time, boys and girls, when the story lady tells us what happened when the goose that laid the golden egg got frightened by King Midas.